during a home inspection, home inspectors look at the surrounding areas of a house. And let's take a look at, um, let's talk about landscaping and uh, maybe we'll talk about steps as well. Well-maintained landscaping and other improvements are important for the enjoyment of a healthy, durable property. And InterNACHI believes that every home should be inspected every year as part of a homeowner's routine home maintenance plan. During a home inspection, we should check the plants, the trees, and the shrubs. You should check the location and condition of all the trees and shrubbery that may affect the house. InterNACHI has a free online how to inspect trees course, and it's free and online to members. You may be interested in learning a little bit more than you need to know because you don't need to inspect the entire site and environment during a home inspection according to the home inspection standards of practice. But you may want to look what's up close and against or near the house structure. Those things that are overgrown should be simply pruned and trimmed, and that's a great recommendation. Where trees or bushes have overgrown, complete removal may be necessary for good home maintenance. Trees simply need to be trimmed. Overhanging branches should not interfere with a, a chimney's draft. They should not damage utility wires or deposit leaves and twigs on a roof or inside gutters and drains. Trees and shrubs that are very close to the exterior walls or roofs can cause damage. They can make it difficult to perform home maintenance inspections and home inspections and repairs if needed. Branches around the perimeter of a house should be pruned back. Tree roots under concrete walks can cause damage. Roots are usually exposed near the surface and can be cut back. Tree roots can cause foundations to crack by pushing against the foundations from the outside. Homeowners should consider hiring an arborist. An arborist is a specialist in the cultivation and care of trees and shrubs, including tree surgery, the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of tree disease, and the control of pests. Now, fences, they, over time, fall apart and lean over. And that's a good thing to tell my home inspection clients. Now, fences are not part of a home inspection. I may look at them only out of courtesy. I'll may I will incorporate them when inspecting a swimming pool or spa or hot tub. And if I know my clients have pets, dogs, and small children, I'll take a look at the fence. Or if my client asks me to look at the fence, I'll document my observations. Fences are usually installed to provide some kind of physical or visual privacy. Fences should be plumb and in good repair. So as a home inspector, I'll check wooden fences for the development of rot or insect infestation. I'll check metal fences for rust development. I'll check all gates and their hardware. They should have proper fittings and operation and clearances. Fences are often addressed in a homeowner association bylaw or deed covenants. Pay special attention to fences and locations and property lines. Neighbors can get quite unneighborly about property lines. So property lines and things like that with fences, that's not part of a home inspection. It just makes sense. Concrete pavement cracks and settlements. Those areas need to be monitored. All paved areas need monitoring. Where there is a difference in elevation in a walk or driveway that creates a tripping hazard, the higher portion of the concrete may be ground down to the level of the lower portion, although the grinding will change the appearance of the concrete. 
Paved areas immediately adjacent to a home should slope away from the perimeter of the building walls, the foundation walls. Paving that is not sloped to drain water away from a building should be repaired. Repairing any paving that has large cracks, broken sections, high areas, low areas that trap water and trip hazards are needed. Repairing concrete often requires total replacement. Resurfacing with a thin layer of more concrete can't repair concrete. It never works. Concrete should be no less than three inches thick, and that resurfacing thin stuff just is like a Band-Aid. Cracks in concrete can be cut open and sealed with a flexible sealant compound, which will extend its service life. For sidewalks that have settled downward, it may be possible to lift up sections. Asphalt. Sealing asphalt paving can extend its life. Homeowners should seal coat their driveways every three or five years or so. They should examine the paving to determine when sealing is needed, if at all. Check asphalt driveways for sunken areas that hold water or may hold water during a home inspection or really large open cracks. Low areas in asphalt paving can be brought to level with an asphalt repair, and they work pretty well. Paving doesn't last forever. Brick or stone patio paving could be set on a concrete slab, in a mortar bed with mortar joints, or in a sand bed that is laid on the earth. Mortar joints can be tuck pointed, and loose bricks or stones can be reset in a mortar bed. Pavers set in sand can be easily taken up and sand added or removed and the pavers, pavers re, uh, replaced. The maintenance and repair of sidewalks, driveway aprons, and curbs at the street may be the responsibility of the homeowner or of the local jurisdiction. Exterior steps. The condition of exterior stairs and railings, well, it's important. If it's deteriorated in any component of a stairway, it could be hazardous and a fall could be fatal. Every once in a while, the homeowner should shake all the railings vigorously. During a home inspection, I do that. I check their stability and inspect their fastening. Every stair with more than three steps have a, should have a handrail, but that's a code thing. I believe the IRC says four risers. Some codes say three. Many home inspectors, myself included, are not code inspectors and therefore our opinion matters. And my opinion is, if there's one or two steps that may be difficult for an 85-year-old grandmother to step up without a handrail, I'll put that recommendation in my report. The handrail should be located 34 to 38 inches above the edges of the stair tread. It's really a code thing and local code. Stairs that are more than 30 inches above the adjacent grade and walks located more than 30 inches above the grade, immediately below, should have guards not less than 36 inches high and intermediate rails that do not allow the passage of a sphere four inches in diameter. So 30 inches high, if you have a, um, a landing at the top of a stairs or a deck that's 30 inches high, for me as a home inspector, I'm not a code inspector, so I'll look for something that's kind of high. Sometimes it's 20 inches, 24 inches, because I'm not a code inspector. So I may recommend that this deck here in the back that is um, 28 inches above the grass in the back needs a guard. Now, they don't have to follow my recommendations. They don't have to put a guard there, but I'm going to put that in the report. And also the intermediate rails, right? The, the spindles, little vertical things in the guard. You can't have a four inch sphere pass through it. 
Now, some people will say that the home was built to code with a, a larger opening to allow a larger sphere to pass through 30 years ago. So it's grandfathered. Well, a child falling through the railing doesn't care if the house was grandfathered in or not. Doesn't make any sense. Has no relevancy on protecting children and people from being injured. So if you're interested in protecting children from injury and preventing injuries from happening and people getting hurt or property getting damaged, you may want to reflect upon the modern building standards, I won't say code, and incorporate that into your inspection process, your observations, and how you write your report. For me, I personally inspect a home without any regard to when the home was built. If the home was built yesterday, you shouldn't be able to pass a four-inch sphere through the intermediate rails of the guard. If the home was built 500 years ago, you shouldn't be able to pass a four-inch sphere through the intermediate rails of a guard. Why? Well, they didn't care about guards 500 years ago, and a lot of kids got hurt, so they kept changing the way they built things. Fire code keeps changing, unfortunately, a lot of times because our firefighters get hurt. And so the code gets better and better so that property and life are protected. So that may free you up as a home inspector. Inspecting a home without any regard to when the home was built, but keeping in mind modern building practices, best practices, modern standards, and you may want to refer to the latest code. Let's get back to the stairs. Wooden steps should have proper support and strength, and no rot or insect infestation should be allowed to develop. So what I do is I grab my screwdriver and I poke around, and I listen. I use that sound. When you tap something that's rotten, it's a different sound than the sound you make with your knuckles on the front wooden door. At steel stairs, look for the development of rust, weakened strength, or poor attachment. I really use my screwdriver there. I dig into the rust and corrosion that I may see. See how bad it is at surface? Is it something that's acceptable or not? Deteriorated stairs should be repaired and replaced. It's vital, critical, that they are in great shape. When you trip on a step, it's unexpected. And if you're old enough, you may have this knee-jerk reaction to grab onto a handrail. Little kids tend to not, they don't learn that yet. They don't have that knowledge in yet, their heads yet. So they may fall, right? So we want those stairs, those steps, those rails, those guardrails, those spaces to be in good shape as much as possible. Stair treads should be as level as possible without holding water and stair riser heights and tread depths should be uniform. Retaining walls, if possible, weep holes and related drains should be looked at following a heavy rain to make sure that they are working properly. That's a good recommendation from a home inspector to a homeowner. If they're not discharging water, the drains may be clogged. They should be cleaned out and observed again in the next rain, or it could be tested with a garden hose. Retaining walls more than two feet in height should be backed with drainage materials such as gravel. There should be drains at the bottom of the drainage material and the drains should discharge water either at the 
end of the wall or through the pipes. These drains and the drainage material behind the wall relieve the pressure, the hydrostatic pressure, of groundwater on the wall. Failure to drain could be remedied by excavating behind the wall, this is expensive, replacing the drainage material and the damaged drain piping and backfilling. In all but the driest climates, improper drainage of water from behind a retaining wall can cause the wall to fail. During the home inspection, look for movement in the retaining walls. Bowing or vertical bulges, sweeping or horizontal bulges, and cracking in retaining walls can be caused by water pressure or hydrostatic pressure. Bulging can also be a result of inadequate strength to resist the load of the earth behind the wall. Bowing and sweeping failures could be corrected if found early enough and if the cause is just poor drainage. There are other types of failures of retaining walls. Failure by overturning, that's leaning from the top, or sliding, which may be caused by inadequate wall strength. In addition, water behind a wall can create unstable earth, especially in clay soils, and contribute to sliding. Retaining walls also fail due to settlement and heaving. Settlement occurs whenever filled earth below the wall compacts soon after the wall is built, or when wet earth caused by poor drainage dries out and so soil consolidates. Poor drainage contributes to failure in cold climates by creating heaving from frozen ground. Both overturning and sliding may be stabilized and sometimes corrected if the amount of movement is not extreme. Settling may be corrected on small, low walls of concrete or masonry, and heaving may be controlled by proper drainage. Significant failure of any kind usually requires rebuilding or replacing all or part of the wall, so a qualified professional should be consulted when major repairs and corrections are needed. Buried oil tanks. A buried oil tank can be covered up by heavy landscaping, like ivy or uh, ground covering, trees, pine needles that fall. Buried ferrous metal oil tanks are commonly found on older properties whose home and or domestic water supply is heated by oil. The presence of a buried oil tank can usually be determined by finding the fill and vent pipes that extend above the ground. Abandoned and very old buried ferrous metal oil tanks are an environmental hazard, a material defect. If you have a buried oil tank on the property, the soil surrounding it should be tested by a qualified environmental professional for the presence of oil seepage. If leaking has occurred, the tank and all the contaminated soil around it must be removed, and this is highly regulated. If leaking hasn't occurred, it may still be a potential problem. Even if a, a tank is empty, it still may have residual oil in the bottom of the tank that is a pollutant, and that needs to be handled. Again, this is highly regulated. As with all underground items, a buried oil tank is not within the scope of a visual home inspection. Other structures. A homeowner needs to keep the detached garages, uh, storage sheds, and other outbuildings in good condition in the same way that their home is maintained. As a home inspector, you're not required to inspect these systems, components, or structures. A homeowner should monitor each building's watershedding capability and the adequacy of its foundation. During a home inspection, you could look for roof leaks from inside the buildings. Um, wood frame structures could be checked for rot and insect infestation. The doors could be checked, the windows, just to provide adequate weather protection and security for the buildings. Small outbuildings should have a sufficient structural strength 
to sustain wind loads or seismic forces, depending on where it is. This may be um, more than just a simple judgment call and beyond the standard home inspection. If the site is in a, a hurricane or a high wind region, check all the outbuildings for their ability to resist a storm without coming apart and becoming windborne debris. So consider consulting a qualified professional to help you with this type of inspection. Yards and courts. In urban areas, two or more dwelling units may share a yard or a court to provide light and ventilation to interior rooms. The adequacy of the light provided to the interior rooms of the home may be a function of the dimensions of the yard or court. These could be checked, these characteristics, as well as the zoning and building and housing code requirements pertaining to light, ventilation, and privacy screening for yards and courts. That could be checked by the homeowner. Such requirements may affect the reuse of the property and their implications should be understood before the property is altered. Flood zones. A homeowner should check with the local authorities to determine if the home is in a flood risk zone. If it is, they should check the local building code officials. Higher standards than those set by national agencies have been adopted by many communities. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and the National Flood Insurance Program have established and defined five major flood risk zones and created special flood resistance requirements for each. There is a flood map on the FEMA website. Improperly designed grading and drainage may aggravate flood hazards to buildings and cause runoff, soil erosion, and sedimentation in the zones of lower flood risk. In these locations, local agencies may regulate building elevations above the street or sewer levels. There are other factors that impact a home's health on the outside. The following are several factors about a home and its property that are often overlooked. The grading, so look at the property around the house and the slope of the ground. If the house is on a ground slope of 20 degrees or more in all seismic regions, including regions of low seismic activity, a structural engineer should be considered to further examine the building in relation to the slope. That's really steep. Wind. Look for loose fences, tree limbs, and landscaping materials such as gravel and small rocks and other objects that could become windborne debris in a storm if the building is in a hurricane or high wind region. Floods. The homeowner should check with local authorities. Major flood risk zones have been established to define where floods occur and special flood resistance requirements have been created for each zone. Lead. Consider checking for the presence of lead in the house paint and in the soil surrounding the house, which can be a hazard to children playing outdoors and can be tracked indoors on their shoes. Lead in soil can come from different sources, such as discarded lead-based paint, lead-based paint chips at the perimeter of stone foundations where the paint is flaking, um, and old trash sites where items containing lead were discarded in the past. The homeowner should consider having the soil and the home tested for lead by a qualified professional inspector. InterNACHI has several free online courses to help you gain knowledge that you need related to inspecting paint in a home, lead-based paint, and hazards. Wildfires. In locations where wildfires can occur, some jurisdictions have requirements for hydrant locations and restrictions on the use of certain building materials, as well as restrictions on planting close to a building. In the context of fire control, defensible space is the area around the structure that has been landscaped to reduce fire danger. It's been cleaned out. 
check with a local building official and fire marshal for such requirements. Construction expansion. If a future construction project on the house includes expansion, an assessment of the site for this future work is critical. The use of the land around the ex existing house is likely restricted by coverage and setback requirements, which define the areas of the property that can be used for future construction projects. Site restrictions. Homeowner association bylaws and deed covenants sometimes include requirements that can affect changes or additions to a building or outbuilding. And finally, accessibility. When universal design is needed, consult a code certified professional inspector for detailed information about parking, walkways, patios, and egress. Now, according to the standards of practice, the home inspector is responsible for checking the roof gutters, downspouts, and surface drainage, but is not responsible for inspecting anything underground, like underground drainage pipes. The inspector is not required to inspect erosion control, earth stabilization measures, or geological or soil conditions. Those are beyond the standards of practice.